Introducing the newest addition to the Sonos Home Sound System, the Sonos One. This smart speaker blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, so you can use your voice to control your whole Sonos system. Connect it to a Sonos Home Theater System and tell Alexa to turn up the TV volume in the living room so you can hear an ice hockey play-by-play -play on the podium while you're cooking in the kitchen. From NBC Sports and Vox Media, this is The Podium. So let's get into the head of Sean White. The shipment of the United States. Lindsey Vaughn, this is her chance now. I'm your host, Lauren Shahadi. Today, the medal events began with women's skiathlon, a grueling 15-kilometer cross-country skiing race. Women had two more opportunities for medals today in speed skating and biathlon, and the men got their chance in short track and ski jumping. American figure skater Nathan Chen stumbled a bit in his first event here in Pyeongchang. Wow. Down on that triple axle, they'll go back and review to make sure it had full rotation. I'm not sure it did. But Chen still managed to land the first ever quad flip at an Olympic Games. And there's so much more to come in figure skating at the 2018 Games. But two of the biggest stars are behind the mics, Johnny Weir and Tara Lipinski. The dynamic duo first hit the airwaves during the 2014 Winter Games in Sochi. But Johnny and Tara are making their primetime Olympic debut this week. Their rise as commentators comes during an era of transition for U.S. figure skating. Here's how they describe the changing scene on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. I think that figure skating is very driven on uh, a strong and dominant female skater, and there hasn't been a strong, dominant female skater from the United States in quite some time. In addition, I mean, things go in and out of fashion. Um, even, you know, traditional television is losing things to the Internet. Mm -hmm. Things go in and out in waves, and, and it's um, usually young people that dictate it. So if young people aren't invested in a, in a skater, in a peer, that they can relate to, then they are less likely to tune in for skating. Yeah, I think there just there really hasn't been a name that is in the media on a on a daily basis, and that's what skating in the '90s was. Um, you know, after the the Tanya Harding and and Nancy Kerrigan incident, Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan, Christy Yamaguchi, Michelle Kwan, everyone knew these names. They were household names because they were winning. They were on TV. There was you know just. Uh, the perception of skating, I think, was different. It was had a little more glitz and glamour, and it appealed to all ages, whereas now we really haven't had that star. These two became stars at the tail end of that era of glitz and glamour. After taking up skating at six years old, Lipinski won gold at Nagano in the ladies' singles event in 1998. She was the youngest gold medalist ever to win it. Weir's start was much later, at age 12. Growing up in Amish country, he taught himself how to skate on the frozen cornfields behind his home in Pennsylvania. Four years later, Weir won gold at the 2001 World Junior Championships, and his career took off. Rebecca Jennings is a producer for the fashion and beauty site Racked, and a former competitive ice skater. She says Weir created an audience for himself by embracing the stereotypes of figure skating. His whole thing was that he was the guy with the crazy costumes. 
Um, he was this extremely fashionable force on the ice. It was all of his programs were very artistic, whereas a lot of his competitors at that time um, would sort of shy away from from programs or from costumes that were quite as loud as him. And I think that he would agree that he was sort of penalized for it. Um, skating tends to be a very conservative sport. And he, I think he he knew that it was he was crossing some lines within the sport when he, you know, would skate to exhibition programs by Lady Gaga and wear feathers and glitter everywhere, even though that is the stereotype that people always have about figure skaters that wear like these, you know, very flamboyant, feminine, um, theatrical, dramatic athletes. Um, but but he sort of I think that people resented the fact that he was that stereotype, whereas in figure skating, it's a lot more conservative and a lot more stuffy. Weir never won an Olympic medal. In 2013, he retired from competitive skating, but his profile continued to grow. He accepted a job with NBC Sports as an analyst, where he was paired with Lipinski. Well, <laughs> well first off, we knew each other forever in figure skating because skating is a very small world and... You know everyone. You may look at them. You just don't talk to them. So I looked at you for many years, Johnny. I I knew Sounded about weird. you, and I and I looked at you. It sounds weird. <laughs> even uh, even when we were both kind of cast as the new voices of figure skating for the Grand Prix season in 2013, at that fall, you were covering the ladies. I was covering the men, and I would see you walk by in the studio. But I had no intention of ever speaking because why? <laughs> why? Why would I disrupt this Lipinski? Because you were always wrapped up in some kind of cashmere craziness, and you could barely see your face. And it was like three in the morning. But Johnny, we wasn't were... <laughs> I always friendly looking? Was I intimidating? You were, always, you were intimidating because you're Tara Lipinski, and we hadn't really, like, properly, met, you know, fell in love. And then we started to do that first interview, and ten minutes later, I was sitting on your lap. The duo were fast friends and became must-see TV. They were insightful and funny. You know, I was working with NBC before that, but when Johnny and I, you know, started as a team, and it was, you know, Terry Gannon, Johnny and I in Sochi, we were the B team, and... um you know, NBC was involved, but I, they had a, you know, they had a primetime show to put on. So we really were qu kind of left to to ourselves and to, to figure out who we were. And I think that was a great opportunity, right? It really was. Focusing on you. It was because everything from that point on was just natural and, and organic. And I think that's why it still continues to flow so well for, for us as a team. You know, we got on the air and we were newbies and we kind of figured out our personalities on air and what worked and how what the dynamic was going to be and the banter. And, and like Johnny says, we, we sort of fell into this very conversational, you know, almost sitting on the couch with, you know, the viewers at home and, and having... Uh, we, we just kind of put on a different show and, you know, there was never a moment that NBC said, oh, well, what if you sort of, you know, directed the show this way or, or went down a different path? Why mess up a good thing, right? As Rebecca Jennings told me, viewers are attracted to Tara and Johnny precisely for that flavor. I think when we think of traditional figure skating analysts, we think of Dick Button, Peggy Fleming, Scott Hamilton, these really lovable personalities um, who... They're fun, but they're sort of insidery. Um, they're great. I mean, they're great sportscast announcers. But I think what Tara and Johnny do is add a lot more personality. Um, they de definitely aren't afraid of shying away from the traditional, um, very buttoned up, 
kind of way we talk about figure skating, they I think they sound like what it sounds like when you and your mom and your skating friends are in your living room watching skating on TV and what you would say to them. They're just relatable, and the witty banter that won over their fans keeps them relevant year-round on social media. On their new podcast, Tara and Johnny, they don't just stick to figure skating. They cover the latest in pop culture and personal news, from how long Johnny spends on his hair every day to Tara's obsession with rhinestones. I definitely think that social media paved the way for them to become this successful duo. Um, They really hit it off together in the 2014 Sochi Olympics just by dressing crazily like half the time the the headlines were about their outfits together which they also sort of like pimped out on social media Um, they just looked like they were this group of friends that you wanted to hang out with and I think that that really came through on social media as well. As Weir and Lipinski have modernized the role of the analysts the way the sport is judged has also shifted. These days it's all about the points. Skaters tend to stack their routines with difficult jumps and turns, which can give them an edge over those who focus on artistry. In the past, the lines were blurred. In a sport where there's no touchdown, no finish line, nothing quantifiable, the point system is easier for analysts to explain. But Johnny says artistry still matters, of course. Figure skating, there are so many nuances, there are so many little things to debate. It makes the conversation very broad and very open. While it might sound really compartmentalized and that Tara and I we can break it down in a way that everyone can understand it, but you can look at a single element or a single moment in a program choreographically and decide why that's better, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, the the cream will rise to the top, and Tara and Mai's job is to take the viewer from the start to the finish of the program and explain why certain elements are harder than others, to give our opinions on the artistry. But really, it's great as an audience member to sit at home and fight for why you thought this person should have won over that person and to start a debate in the family. It's, it's fun to watch figure skating. And Tara and Johnny are part of the reason it's so entertaining to watch. And you can see them on every figure skating primetime broadcast here in Pyeongchang. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, a look at two young snowboarders who won Olympic gold and then retired. Stay with us for more. I'm here in Pyeongchang for the Olympics, and I got the cutest video this morning from New York City. My two little girls having a living room dance party with daddy, rocking out to our play bass, the wireless speaker for my TV from Sonos with full theater sound. The play bass, it's slim, it's sleek, it can slide under your TV, and it hooks up with just two cords. It's fully immersive, great for movies, but we've also been using it to stream Dora the Explorer. And thank goodness I can control the volume from my phone or my TV remote. When I turned on my girls' favorite Kids Bop channel, they held hands and started jumping up and down. So I'm guessing they appreciate the incredible sound quality as well. Sonus is offering listeners of the Podium podcast 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use the promo code WINTER10, capital W-I-N-T-E-R, one zero, at Sonos.com to receive this offer. Snowboarding events started yesterday, but two American gold medalists from Sochi aren't present at the Olympics this year. Reporter Tim Struby looks at why. 
February 2014, and Caitlin Farrington is on a plane headed to Sochi, Russia for her first Olympic Winter Games. She's 24 years old and one of four Team USA women snowboarders set to compete in the halfpipe. Yet she's never pictured herself standing on the podium. And I remember sitting on my flight and just being like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity and you are going to have the best time ever. I wasn't really thinking that I was going to walk away with a gold medal, but I knew I decided the runs that I wanted to do on the flight and just kind of had that already in mind. And so going into it, I was like, if I just land my runs, I know it will at least put me in the top six I was hoping for. And right behind Hannah Teeter is 24-year-old Caitlin Farrington. On her last run, Farrington earns a score of 91.75. It puts her in first place, but the competition is far from over. She has to wait for Kelly Clark, Tora Bright, and Hannah Teeter, all three Olympic halfpipe gold medalists, to take their final shots. Yeah, I mean, I got the gold and it was really unexpected in a way, but I remember sitting at the bottom and as all the other girls started dropping and I was like, oh my God, I'm in bronze position. Holy cow, I'm in silver position. And then all of a sudden I was like, and I just won the gold medal. I was like, holy, I was so ecstatic. And it was kind of one of those things that I didn't even believe until our medal ceremonies was the following night. And so I remember walking over the bridge and seeing the huge crowd in front of the the stage. And I was like, holy cow, this is really happening because I didn't see the medal for about 24 hours. Overnight, Farrington becomes an international star. I just remember standing up there as they played the national anthem and just sitting there. And I was like, I can't wait to come back. And so it was kind of I had my sights set on this Olympics for competing. And I was like already starting to prepare myself for the second round. Eight months later, Farrington is in Austria for a product shoot with one of her sponsors. On a relatively small jump, she catches her heel edge on the takeoff and falls on her upper back and neck. I had a fall where I lost feeling from the neck down for about two minutes. And it was just kind of this total fluke thing. I was flying back home the next day. So we kind of didn't go to the doctor because it was a weird, like, there's a big language barrier. We don't know what's going on. And after the two minutes was up, like, I started feeling the tingling going through my feet and my hands again. And so I knew, like, things were coming back. In fact, she feels good enough to snowboard the next day. And when she returns home to Salt Lake City, she starts physical therapy. After two weeks, she goes to see a spine specialist with her physical therapist. First thing the doctor said when he comes in was, you can never snowboard again. And I think I threw my middle finger up in the air, put my sunglasses on, and walked out of the doctor's office. And that was the last I ever saw that doctor. Farrington isn't the only unlikely star at the Sochi Winter Games. 20-year-old Sage Kotzenberg is highly respected within the snowboarding world, but far from a household name. In his six X Games appearances prior to Sochi, he'd only snagged one slopestyle medal. In the first ever slopestyle event, he lands a trick that requires four and a half rotations in the air. More impressive, he'd never tried it before in competition. The judges reward him with a score of 93.5, good enough for the gold medal. It's a result that surprises everyone, including himself. A lot happens after his gold medal performance. Kotzenberg sits down with Conan and Letterman, goes to the White House for a meet and greet with President Obama. 
He's even on the cover of a Wheaties box. But unlike Farrington, who's immediately making big plans for her next Olympics, Katzenberg's heart and mind are elsewhere. That sound? That's Katzenberg carving up fresh, pure powder in the Alps. He told NBC that from the moment he won the gold, he wasn't following contest results. He's into an entirely different scene, filmmaking. He's constantly checking social media posts from other snowboarders riding in Switzerland and Whistler, filming in the backcountry. His thought? That's where he wants to be. As for contests, post-Olympics he competes in a handful, including the 2015 X Games. But the fire and the results weren't there. But he's coming in goofy, so that front side, 1260 off the toe. Then, in January 2017, Kotzenberg shocks the snowboarding world once again. He announces the end of his competitive career. Unlike Sage Kotzenberg, Caitlin Farrington doesn't choose to stop snowboarding on her own. At a doctor's visit, an MRI reveals congenital cervical stenosis, a narrowing of her spinal column. And on January 19th, 2015, Farrington, an Olympic gold medalist, officially retires. But Farrington is here in Pyeongchang at the 2018 Olympic Winter Games. It's been interesting. It's definitely bittersweet coming into this Olympics because I just, I'm like jealous and envious of everybody that's still doing it. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, at least I don't have this crazy competitiveness holding over my head of like competition because I'm a competitive person. I'm kind of like, well, what if I didn't even make the team? Like, would I have been crushed? And so it was kind of nice, like, you know, being the Olympics being my last contest and then winning, winning on top of that and leaving the sport. But it's also something that I really wanted to continue with as well. Farrington discovers a way to remain in the sport without risking her life. So this Winter Olympics, I'm going to be announcing Big Air for NBC. The gig didn't fall into Farrington's lap. She went out and got it, albeit in an unconventional way. I actually hit them up on their NBC Olympics account on Instagram and said, I deserve to be here. Um, and so I literally sent that message and was like, hey, I don't know who to contact, but I think I deserve to be there and be a part of this because... I love the Olympics, and this is something that I would like to continue to be a part of. Broadcasters don't usually apply for jobs over social media, but Farrington's talent out of the halfpipe speaks for itself. I've just been doing some announcing gigs here and there for snowboard cross, halfpipe, and slope style, and then we'll be doing the big air for the Olympics, which will be really fun because I'm new to the whole thing, and I think the first time I talked to somebody over at NBC, they're like, what's your experience? And I was like, I have experience on the other side of the mic. <laughs> and so that was kind of like I ended up, my resume was just a list of interviews that linked to YouTube and it just like went through all of my interviews that I've done over the past 10 years of doing it and so and that was kind of my resume because I was like I know I know this sport I've been on the other side and I'm a personable person so it kind of worked out in my favor. As for Kotzenberg he doesn't hang up his snowboard far from it now far away from the contest circuit he spends his time making snowboarding movies.
That'll do it for our show today. Tonight on Primetime on NBC, team competition continues in figure skating with a short dance and the ladies' short program. You can also watch the men's downhill in Alpine. Our producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Our senior producer is Jillian Weinberger. Our executive producer is Nishat Kurwa. Special thanks to Golda Arthur, also to Brandon McFarlane, who composed our theme music. Find more episodes of The Podium on Apple Podcasts. You can watch the Winter Olympics on the networks of NBC. And you can stream every event live on NBCOlympics.com and the NBC Sports app. My name is Lauren Shahadi. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, so Sonos speakers are super easy to set up. But if you just don't even want to bother with that, you can have someone else do it for you for free. That's right. If you live in any major metropolitan area, Up and Running will have a trained expert deliver and set up your system absolutely free. Just order from Sonos.com and select Up and Running at checkout if you qualify.